Okay. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Complete Sports Media's podcast. I'm your host, Darren Campbell, and joining me as always on a Monday is Jason Cameron. Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It uh, was a good day today. Like, I, you know, I actually kind of got off work early. That was super nice. Nice. So nice. It will be the last time. But one is good for me. I'll take one. Yay. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad you got some extra time uh, before this and got to uh, come back home, relax a little bit, watch some basketball. Uh, sure was a lot of fun games this weekend. Lots of great basketball and the UFC was fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, basketball this weekend was absolutely fantastic. It was great to watch. And it was a good UFC. We had a lot of finishes in this UFC. Yeah, there was there was a ton. What are the what are the games that you watched in basketball that were uh, really well, really closely watching? Okay, well, uh, closely watched. I watched the Golden State Warriors Charlotte Hornets game on Saturday. Right. Great game, by the way. Draymond, oh Draymond, 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 Draymond. We'll, we'll get to that later. And then the other one I I watched was the the Celtics uh, Pelicans game, which was right. a fantastic game. Great yeah. game. That was a great game. Yeah, yeah, I watched. I watched both of those as well, and uh, I watched a few others. Uh, I can't wait to break them down and, uh, yeah, figure out what, uh, what went wrong with some of the teams and, uh, yeah, what's going right with others. Uh, it's It was a fantastic weekend and, uh, yeah, a lot of really interesting basketball stories. But uh, let's get to the UFC, though. Um, a really compelling uh, fight night uh, from Vegas again. And uh, uh this night ended up showing that the strikers uh, got the better of the grapplers. And, and uh, well, that was, uh, that made us happy. We were able to little, give it back a little bit to Scott Holborn over, you know, how he always cheers for the grapplers. But um, I've noticed that some of these guys are realizing this guy's going to shoot for a takedown on me. I've got a, instead of sprawling, I'm going to throw an uppercut or I'm going to throw a knee. And uh, I'm going to try to knock him out. And that's what Derek Lewis did. He became the, uh, he tied for the all-time knockouts in UFC history with his 12th. And um, it was a vicious knockout. Uh, he was losing the fight at the time. But uh, that power that he has was able to shut the lights out and uh, get him the victory. That's the thing with the Black Beast. He just needs one. One shot. Like he showed that in the Volkov fight. He just needs one shot, just one opportunity. And he doesn't let it slip. He crushes you with that one opportunity. And uh, that's exactly what he even said at post-fight. I was just waiting for that. I was waiting for the opportunity to arise, to hit him with that crushing uppercut. And when it did, he hit him and it was game over. It was literally game over. He was out before he even hit the mat. Yeah. We saw the previous week with Frankie Edgar going low. Uh, he gets the uppercut. Boom. He's out. Or uh, no, sorry. He gets the knee and he's out. Uh, we saw it with Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren. Uh, we've started to see a bit of a trend instead of the, the sprawling, keeping your uh, weight forward, legs back, uh, not allowing that. Uh, we've just seen a trend of a lot of guys deciding I'm as soon as I see him, Going for that takedown, I'm going to hit him hard with a knee or an uppercut, and and it's it's been some devastating knockouts in the last year uh, of some of these these moves that have been happening. Of course, because you know 
once you shoot like that, you're using your opponent's momentum against them, along with all your power into your shot, whether it be a straight up the straight up the gut knee or an uppercut or a flying knee, which is even worse. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like it's it's just it's one of those moves that's there, but your timing has to be there as well. You have to be able to time him perfectly. And that's what the Black Beast did. He timed Curtis Blades perfectly and he shut his lights out. Yeah, he sure did. Blades was Blades was having a really great uh, time of it in the first round. Uh, seemed to really be taking the, the fight to Lewis. Lewis seemed off balance a lot when he was trying to throw his strikes. He wasn't in good position. He was taking shots. He was uh, not... You know, not on his game, but uh, as he said, he was just waiting, waiting, waiting for that for that opportunity, and he took it full advantage of it. He was a lot more subdued than a lot of uh, you know guys that win that main event, win the win the fight. Uh, he didn't automatically ask for another title shot. He's been ask, actually asking for Alistair Overeem to uh, be his next opponent. Do uh, you think that's a good matchup for the UFC to make? I think it is. I think it is. I think it's a bad matchup for Overeem to take, to be honest with you, because that could literally be his last fight. Right. You know, like he said, he's on his last run right now. Yeah. Fighting a guy like that could make it your last fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if he managed to somehow get past the Black Beast, he, but even with that, even with that, he probably only has two or three more fights left. Like he's already said it. Like he, he's coming near the end of his career. And I think that's one of the reasons why Derek Lewis wants to fight him before he retires. I think he wants to have that, to say that, yeah, I fought Overeem, I fought a legend, and uh, win or lose, at least I got that under my belt. Yeah. Uh, what's next for uh, Curtis Blades? What, uh, where do you think he goes after this devastating knockout? Uh, well, he's going to obviously he's going to fall in the rankings. I think he was number two in the, in, in the heavyweight division, and now he's going to fall. Uh, you know what? Curtis Blades, I think he's going to be fine. Obviously, he's going to have to do his concussion protocol, take some time off from the, the gym and whatever. Um, but I still think he still probably fights maybe mm, a top six guy again. Maybe his next fight. If he wins that, he's just right up, right back into contention again. So yeah. that's all he needs to do is just win again immediately and he'll be right back into it. So there's lots of talk that the winner of Stipe Miocic, Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight championship is going to fight John Jones next. Uh, do you think that's where the UFC is moving towards? Yeah, of course, because well, it's John Jones and he's he has a loss, but it's not really a loss. You know what I mean? The guy is very good at beating himself and nobody else can beat him. Yeah. So with that being said, I think it's a good move on the UFC's part because John Jones has made his point very loud and clear. He's moving up to the heavyweight division. He's been the light heavyweight champ. Nobody's been able to beat him. So with him being able to jump the queue, so to speak, yeah, a guy like that should be able to do that. Yeah. Plain and simple. Well, he always moves the needle. Uh, a lot of people want to see him fight. Uh, he he should, you know, garner lots of interest. Uh, there'll be lots of pay-per-view buys, and and uh, you know he'll he'll really make the uh, the guy really angry at him as well. He knows how to stir up the the fight and controversy. Uh, this was the biggest upset in main event history for the UFC since Michael Bisping beat Luke Rockhold, and I'm surprised by that because. 
Vegas, you know, really is close to, you know, accurate for many of their uh, predictions. But, um, you know, as you said, uh, Derek just needs that one shot and he can turn the guy's lights out. So I'm, I'm surprised he was that big of an underdog in this one. So am I. I. I had no idea that he was actually that big of an underdog. I didn't know that. I guess Vegas possibly thought that Blades would incorporate incorporate a Daniel Cormier type attack. Yeah. And that's how that's how he took uh, Derek Lewis out. But here's the thing. Curtis Blades is not Daniel Cormier. Right. He's not that guy. So yeah. I, I don't know why they would have given him such a, such an advantage, knowing that that dude, it doesn't even matter what round it is. He has that power and he can sl- shut your lights out at any point in time in the fight. He's proven that. Yeah. I think that shows how good Daniel Cormier is and, you know, how he was able to dominate so much, but uh, we're seeing a really big evolution of Derek Lewis. He's, he's never been in better shape every single fight. He's really, really dedicating himself to getting in really good, phenomenal shape. He doesn't seem gassed. He seems, you know, able to do so much more than he ever used to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he's really taking his uh, fitness to another level. And since he's done that, well, we're seeing uh, the results of that, of his hard work, which is he's now just knocking people out left, right and center and looking good while doing it and not gassing out. And now that's the funny thing about Derek Lewis. So it's like, are you trying to tell me he wasn't trying before, but now he is? Oh, well, OK, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. That was his uh, 21st appearance in the octagon. And now he has... Uh, 12 knockouts that ties Vitor Belfort for regardless of weight class, he has the most knockouts in USC history. Uh, second place has Anderson Silva, Matt Brown, Anthony Rumble, Johnson, and Tiago Santos, all with 11 KOs. Uh, when I saw that the last time he got into the, uh, you know, the uh, tied with the second most knockouts, I was super shocked by that. And I am still super shocked that he is, tied for the most knockouts in USC history out of the 25 years or so that the USC has been in existence. It's pretty, pretty incredible. It is pretty incredible because he hasn't been fighting really that long. No. If, you, if you take into consideration all of that, which means that the man is just that powerful. He just has that much amount of crazy power that I would never want to face in my life. Because if I did, I, I would not be on this planet anymore. I would be gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny yeah well uh it was a great main event uh, a lot of fun uh yeah very very uh significant victory um you know, i feel sorry for blades a little bit uh, that was a very severe concussion and probably it'll take a little while to recover from that but um yeah he learned a big lesson hopefully and uh, i think he'll he'll be able to move back up the ranks young guy 14 and 3 uh, you know, still ranked probably top five in the in the world, and I, I'm sure he'll get another shot at some big boys. But uh, yeah, look out for that that uppercut. Uh, you don't want to take one of those from some of these guys in Ganu, Stipe, uh, order Derek Lewis. Uh, yeah, you're uh, you're gonna have an early nap that night if you do. Yeah, heavyweights can crack. You know what I mean? And then the strongest of them can really, really crack. They can yeah. really shut your lights out in a hurry. So I, I'm, I'm super excited to see what the UFC does with Derek Lewis next, if they give him the fight to, with Overeem, or if they just say, you know, after 
Uh, Ngannou, Stipe, winner of that fights John Jones. Then maybe the winner of that just fights Derek Lewis. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, it's exciting. The heavyweight, the heavyweight division was um, really on on display. This card, there was three really big fights. Uh, the three winners got uh, all got 50k bonuses. I can't wait to get into talking about a lot of them. But why don't we talk about the co-main event that was Yana Kunitskaya against Caitlin Vieira? Uh, what a great battle this was. Um, Caitlin uh, had the early upper hand was able to take her down and get a lot of ground and pound, but uh, Kunitskaya had a really amazing comeback and, and uh, yeah, ended up taking the decision in this fight. I was impressed by both of their uh, performances. Yeah, they both definitely had the will to win because uh, Vieira took uh, Kunitskaya down in the first, controlled her in the first, Kunitskaya flipped the script on her in the second, did that to her, held her down in the second, one second, and so going into the third, the third, whoever won the third won the fight. Um, and, and I'm going to be honest, man, it was so close. Super close. Sure was. And I, I actually thought Vieira won the okay. fight. Okay. I actually did. But I, I kind of understand where the judges were going because Kunitskaya managed to turn the tables in the last minute and a bit at the end of that round and yeah. ended in a Dominant, dominant position, raining yeah. blows. I love the fact that Kunitskaya never gave up on herself and fought to the very end of the fight. A lot yeah. of fighters don't do that now. Some fighters will take it off. She fought to the very end, and maybe I believe that's what gave her the fight. That's what she, won her the fight. Yeah, I think she might have just pulled it out in the last uh, 10, 15, 20 seconds because she yeah. rained down a couple of elbows, one yeah. elbow cut her. She hit her again with the elbow. Uh, when they stood up, it definitely looked like Kunitskaya, you know, was way less damage. Uh, yeah, she, when when they en ended up counting the total strikes, Kunitskaya had uh, landed 178 strikes. So uh, when she was dominant in that second round, she really, really, really beat her up. And uh, but yeah, I thought Caitlin won that first round for sure. That third round, Vieira was definitely in charge of it, uh, doing some control time. But, uh, yeah, Kunitskaya, like you say, didn't give up and just uh, pulled out that victory probably just right in the last few seconds of that fight. Yeah, like like literally it was. It was the last few seconds where he cut her, cut her open and then just raining down those hellacious elbows. It, I was impressed. I was yeah. really impressed because I'm like, well, because honestly I thought, ah, very great way to end that round, the third round. But I thought maybe a little too late. But yeah. then once the scorecards were read, I was like, oh, oh she won. Oh, all right. Well, and also, too, at the same time, though, I wasn't surprised by that. I wasn't yeah. surprised. Yeah, no, it was um, it was amazing. Um, I I was it was interesting to hear the post fight interview. Uh, Kunitskaya said that it was her second training camp preparing for Vieira. Vieira was supposed to fight her last time, but she had some visa issues. So she had been training for her for a very, very, very long time. And she said she really didn't think she could have the advantage on the ground because Vieira was the Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert, uh, black belt there, and, and judo as well. Uh, but she said, you know, I just had to train for her for the past six months. And, uh, you know, I figured out how to beat her. And she was really, really, really impressive. I 
I, I, I love this fight. I, I really uh, was blown away on, on how game both these girls were. And, and the number six, number seven ranked fighters in this division. Uh, yeah, very impressive. I think they, they both have an opportunity to move up in the ranks uh, in the next little while and, and contend very, very highly. Oh, yeah. Like, I, from this fight, they demonstrated to me that uh, they're going to be very, very tough outs for anybody in the, in the upper rankings in that division. Yeah. Very tough. Because they both had that will to win, and they fought to the very, very end of that fight. And it was, I, it was close, man. It was yeah. close. They fight again. It may be a completely different reversal and Vieira wins. Like it's that close between these two. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the featherweight battle between Charles Rosa and Derek Minner? Uh, I, yeah, I, I thought um, Minner was really good at his ground control time. He ended up uh, having about 12 minutes of ground control. Uh, he, um, he was great at, at strikes. Uh, he, he definitely dominated so much of this fight. And um, yeah, I felt like he, he deserved the decision victory by far. Yeah, he basically smothered Rosa. Yeah. Smothered him. Uh, and also, too, he did it to a guy that's extremely dangerous off his back. Yeah. Rosa kept attacking him with submission after submission after submission and wasn't getting anywhere with this guy. Like, oh. nowhere. Nowhere at all, man. I, I was super impressed with his uh, submission defense and his top control was just utterly dominant. Rosa could not get out from underneath him. No. He, he, he literally couldn't do that. Absolutely not. And he took his back a number of times in the second and third round. Yeah. Yeah, he had uh, 12 minutes and seven seconds of ground control time. Uh, he had three submission attempts. His striking accuracy was uh, almost 80%. 83 total strikes he landed to 28 for Rosa. Uh, Rosa wasn't on top at all during the fight. Uh, Minner just, um, yeah, was, uh, yeah, just a really amazing display of grappling and jiu-jitsu. And, and uh, yeah, definitely ground out a, a great, great, great victory for him. So congratulations, Minner. And, uh, yeah, let's see where he goes next. Um, let's, let's talk about the other heavyweight battle on the card. Uh, I remember when you first heard about it you said oh I, my money's on Dawkins right away uh you thought he was going to dominate this fight uh Alinek, uh the boa constrictor uh just so much experience so many incredible fights in his career uh, he was able to drag the fight to the ground but he wasn't able to secure any type of submission and and once uh he wasn't able to Dawkins just showed massive power and just was relentless until Herb Dean finally had to come in and, and stop the onslaught. Yeah, yeah, because like Dawkins's hands are that's almost golden glove type material, man. His his hands are great. Yeah, lightning quick, super accurate, and unfortunately for Olenek, his his stand up has never been, you know, like elite level. It yeah. just never has been. And Dawkins's striking is most certainly elite level striking. Yeah. Because once he started teeing off, bing, 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 bing. Like, it was just like, you know, Herb Dean was just like, uh-oh, he's using him as a punching bag now. I, I better I better step in and stop this. And, and you know, it was only a matter of time before Olenek fell. Only a matter of time. But he's Herb, Dean, Herb Dean yelled at him a couple times, fight back, fight back. Uh, he just wasn't able to. 
uh, when Herb stopped it and Dawkins started going to the other side of the cage, Herb looked at him and then looked back and Olenek started wobbling and falling and he came close to falling. Herb actually had to go and help him stand up. And yeah, it's crazy when uh, Olenek was fighting his 75th fight in his career. It's crazy that he's been so amazing on the ground in the grappling, but he wouldn't have spent so much time trying to work on the, his weakness like Derek Lewis is doing. You know, you would think after 75 fights, he would be really, really super confident at his striking, but he's just never been able to get that ability. No, no. Actually, what he's done instead was he's just perfected his craft on the ground. Yeah. Because like, if he gets you on the ground, he's going to both trick you up and you're just going to go to bed because he's going to suffocate you. <laughs> like he's just he's going to choke you right out. And yeah. so, unfortunately, I think it's maybe for some fighters, they just realize this is who I am. And this is what I'm going to be good at, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think with Olenek, I think he's just accepted this is who I am. This is what I'm good at. And this is what I can do. Now, more to the point for Olenek, what you just said right there. 75 fights? This guy's still fighting? Like, what, what is this? Are you kidding me? Like, what are you made of? Amazing. How is that even a thing? How is that even possible? Amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, just uh, what a career. And uh, yeah, sorry that he he wasn't able to become as well-rounded this game. You need to be, you know, skilled on, on you know, both sides, striking and, and grappling. And if you can't, uh, they're going to be able to uh, put guys in there that can uh, find your weakness and uh, exploit it and uh, get big knockout wins against you. And uh, yeah, Dawkins is now uh, ranked in the top 10 and uh, yeah, seems to be Really on a meteoric rise. Uh, still young, eleven and three is his record. But um, yeah, some big fights are, are coming for him, I'm sure. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, why don't we talk about the middleweight fight between Phil Hawes and Nazardine Imovov? Uh, decision win by Hawes. Uh, Imovov heard him, had him wobbled. Uh, Hawes was in trouble quite a bit, but um, man, is that Megatron ever powerful? ever just what a what an incredible physique and really really super powerful uh, a great victory by him but he was in trouble a little bit during this fight yeah yeah because Imovov really took it to him in the third yeah. and almost had it almost had it yeah. but just didn't seem to have just enough juice or a gas to finish him off get that knockout oh, yeah. didn't have enough yeah. and he was right there and he had him, but he couldn't finish the job. And Hawes had enough wherewithal to once again fall back on his old reliable wrestling, take him to the ground, gather his wits about him, and not get knocked out. Yeah. Because he was right there for the taking, but Imavov couldn't take advantage of that, and Hawes did the right thing. Wrapped him up and held him, you know, managed to hold on. Yeah. Uh, Henry Hooft is his uh, striking coach, and uh, he's a striking coach down in in uh, Coconut Creek, Florida. You know, lots of amazing fighters come out of there. We mentioned uh, one of them earlier, Yannick Kuniskaya is from there. Uh, tons of great things. I think uh, Haas is, uh, yeah, well-rounded and, uh, you know, just definitely got himself in a little bit of trouble. Uh, it was very wobbly, but um, six straight wins now. For him and uh, he got the majority decision in this one I, I think um, yeah great great fights are on the horizon for him I I, I know that the, the USC is quite high on him so 
we'll, we'll see him soon. Um, the uh, main card started with another heavyweight battle between the legend Andre Arlovsky, former heavyweight champion from years back, against Tom Aspinall, who's definitely on a meteoric rise himself, and uh, was able to get a, a rear naked choke on him and a really, really quick tap by Arlovsky. He didn't want to go to sleep that night. And uh, Aspinall was able to get a, a, a very quick win. Yeah, Aspinall, again, just like Dawkins, great hands. His hand speed. Once he got Arlovsky hurt and up against the cage, that was ridiculous. Yeah. That was, that was like a machine gun going off. Like it was, I, I was super impressed with that hand speed, man. That, that is, that's world class right there, my friend. And, uh, and it was just a matter of time. And then before you know it, he knocked Arlovsky down, took his back immediately. Again, the transition, seamless transition from him going from stand up to the ground and then sinking in that rear naked choke immediately like that. Yeah. That was that was a thing of beauty, man. That was really nice. Really yeah. nice. So, so now you have, literally you have two new up-and-comers storming the heavyweight division and storming into the top 10 with Aspinall and Dawkins. Those are your two, like, uh, your two bright lights now. In the heavyweight division, yeah, maybe the UFC should uh, put them together. Uh, yeah, put them in the cage together and see who's the the uh, the best up and comer. Yeah, they could do that, or they just keep letting them both go up at the same time, and eventually they clash near the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, might, that might be smart. Yeah, that was uh, that was Arlovsky's fifty second fight in the UFC. And um, he, uh, yeah, he's been around forever. Uh, the one cool thing about that night was that Aspinall actually said that he went to watch a Michael Bisping fight in England uh, when he was a young guy. And Arlovsky was fighting on that card. And he said that he inspired him to actually go and pursue mixed martial arts. He had never been into a gym to um, actually fight. And uh, when he saw Arlovsky, he thought, hey, there's a guy about the same size as me. Uh, I think maybe I better try this out. And years later, he was able to meet him in the cage and, um, and settle the score. It was kind of cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool to beat up on your, like, your idol and stuff like that. Like, that, that's, that's, that's kind of nice. It's kind of <laughs> nice to have that, to have those goals set and be like, that guy, <laughs> that guy's inspired me. But you know what? I also want to beat him. I want to beat him up. <laughs> as well <laughs> yeah uh, so uh he ended up uh yeah he ended up at after the fight calling out the winner of the Dawkins olenic fight which hadn't occurred yet so um yeah so uh maybe the ufc heard that and maybe doctors heard that and said careful what you wish for so uh yeah we'll see what what plays out it's always um kind of cool uh when you hear some call outs and and he said, yeah, I want, want whoever wins that fight later on in this card. So we'll see. Uh, okay. Uh, the prelim card, uh, the main, car, main fight of the prelim card was Jared Flash Gordon against Danny Chavez. Ended up being a decision win by Gordon. And, um, yeah, he, he uh, was, had really great ground control in the fight. A very even first round, uh, feeling each other out, it seemed like. And then um, once, once uh, Gordon was able to take Chavez down, he was able to just control the action and uh, seemed to be a little bit fresher, a little bit better fighter in the, in the end. Yeah, like, um, like you said, the first round was pretty even. It was pretty much a back-and-forth affair. 
But once Gordon showed his uh, his supremacy on the ground, and Chavez it was that was his weak point, and Gordon exploited it in the second and third, and that's what won him the fight. Yeah. Um, like you said, in this game, you got to be well rounded in all aspects. And if any of these guys find a chink in the armor, that's what they'll attack. And yeah. for Chavez, unfortunately, that was his chink in the armor, his grappling exchanges and his wrestling, just not as as on point as it was for Gordon. And then that's what Gordon did, wrestled him, got the win. Yeah, pretty, 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 pretty fantastic stuff for Gordon. Yeah, no, it was really fantastic. Yeah, he looked incredible. Um, he was five pounds overweight, uh, so I wasn't uh, totally impressed with him. There was actually four fighters on the card that um, came in overweight and lost part of their purse. Uh, something that's gotta be done, as we've said before, I think they've got to be a lot more uh, penalizing with something so that we don't see this. I thought it was an unfair advantage and it shouldn't, uh, you know, shouldn't have occurred, uh, you know, just losing 20 to 30% of the purse. Um, I just don't think it's, um, it's fair. And uh, you know, five pounds isn't really a try in my opinion. No, no, it's not because that's because that last five pounds is the hardest. Right. That's the hardest one to cut. And that's if he looks at it, he goes, ah, you know what? I tried. Good enough. You know, whatever. <laughs> and then I think that's what a lot of these guys do. We're just yeah. like, ah, you know what? It's just not worth it for me to go any further because now I'm going to be severely limited in the fight, and not make the weight anyways. Yeah. Well, how about this? Why didn't weren't you on point a couple of weeks before the fight? And then you would have made weight easy. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I like I agree with you on that. We both agree that something needs to happen to severely disadvantage these guys so that they know that they have to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I think, um, you know, yeah, we got to figure this out because, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not fair for the guy that, you know, put all his effort in and uh, made sure he was going to make weight there. They're probably walking into the cage same weight, you know, uh, if they both, you know, try to, to lose that weight, but you know, the other guys compromise, uh, having to get down to the weight he does. So yeah, it's just not fair. And I, I don't really, I like giving credit to a guy when, when he hasn't done that. So, um, yeah, let's move on. Um, there was a bantamweight fight between a legend, Eddie Wineland, who was a WEC champion back in the day. Uh, John Castaneda was his uh, opponent. This one, uh, Wineland was doing pretty good, but then he got stiffened up and took a massive barrage of punches until he was uh, knocked out. Uh, uh, Castaneda just saw that opening and just uh, jumped on him and just, yeah, he just hit him a lot of times before the, the ref jumped in there. He caught him with the right, right? Like, because like Wineland was winning that fight. Wineland looked great. He looked yeah. fantastic up until that one point. <laughs> he got caught with the right, yeah. got wobbled. Castaneda saw his opportunity and ripped off, I believe, I have it written, an eight-punch combo <laughs> to put him away. Yeah. I was super impressed with that. I was like, oh, oh, would you look at that? He he broke off an eight-piece combo just <laughs> like that. And then it was the, it was game over. Like yeah. it was, it was really nice work. Really nice work by Castaneda. Yeah. To come back the way he did, come storming back. The way yeah. He did. Yeah. Jason Herzog came in after those eight unanswered blows and, and stopped the fight. But yeah, he, um, yeah, he just seemed to, 
be able to just notice uh, something. He just uh, stiffened him up with the, the right, like you say, and then just, wow, just he swarmed him so fast that Wineland couldn't stop the blows from coming, and, and that was it. Uh, yeah, you don't see too many old uh, WCE guys anymore, and uh, it was nice to see him, but uh, unfortunately, Eddie took the loss, and um, that it was his 38th fight in the – in mixed martial arts and uh he's been around for a really long time so uh yeah let's hope he um yeah let's hope he keeps at it uh he gets an opponent uh that he can you know continue put away he was uh he was definitely winning that fight before that happened but uh unfortunately took the loss so uh okay what about uh, some of the other battles um i do really want to mention our canadian Amon zahabi uh had the really great knockout win over Draco Rodriguez. Um, yeah, it's great to see Zahabi get back in the win column after a couple of losses. Uh, Faraz Zahabi being George St. Pierre's former coach and longtime uh, Canadian icon for the trainers um, that come here to Canada. Uh, great to see his younger brother uh, get the victory. And uh, yeah, really spectacular knockout. Yeah, and, and, I, and I hope that, uh, I hope that Amin is a little bit busier this year because he hasn't really fought that much over the last couple of years in the yeah, UFC. So right. I, 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 I hope to see him more because I like the way he fights. I like his style. And uh, it was pretty even at first yeah. until out of nowhere, hit him with an overhand right in the, in the fight. Zone. <laughs> like it literally came out of nowhere while I was watching. I think I looked away cause I was drinking something, possibly a beer and look back and again, what happened? Is the fight over? Oh, the fight's over. I don't know what happened. And so I had to see the replay. And yeah, he hit him with an overhand right. And it was a perfect shot. Yeah. Perfect shot. Timed it perfect. Doesn't get any better than that. And Sahabi comes away with the win. And it was a great way to get into the win column for him. Yeah, sure it was. Yeah, it was an incredible, really fantastic shot. And uh, he was on his last fight of his contract. So Really great way to go in and negotiate a, a new one. Uh, that was his seventh first-round finish. And, uh, yeah, he, he said he wants to fight three times. He said, Dana said that if you're under contract in the UFC, you should be uh, expecting about three fights a year. And he said he hasn't fought enough in the past few years, like you, you mentioned. So uh, let's hope uh, we see him again soon. Um, he gets those three fights a year. And we can, yeah, get to see, uh, you know, talk a lot more about for us and uh, a lot of that camp, the TriStar camp out of Montreal, it's a great camp. So many fighters uh, after George St. Pierre had his success. So many fighters went there and got trained and, and have done really, really well. And I think for us is one of the geniuses of the sport. And it's really nice to see his younger brother uh, back in the spotlight and getting the victory. No. Yeah, of course, because, you know, like all those techniques, all the things that he does has been, kind of instituted incorporated into a style by his older brother and so yeah that that kind of shows that what he's doing works yeah because i've been training my younger brother since i don't know since he was like a baby so or whatever and you know <laughs> but you understand what i'm saying right yeah. like yeah. all of those techniques all the things that he that he instills in his fighters obviously he's instilled in his younger brother and now you can see the results of all that hard work with uh, that flash knockout that came out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. That was, yeah, yeah. Hell of a, hell of a knockout. So, 
Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, first fight of the night, the heavyweight battle between Sergey Spivak and Jared Vandera? Uh, the polar bear uh, was able to get um, the, the victory there, got a knockout uh, four and a half minutes into the second round. Um, he caught the kick, uh, was able to get a takedown, and then he was, um, yeah, just grounded and pounded until the, the referee finally pulled him off uh, about 30 seconds left in that round. Well, well, Spivak was definitely the superior fighter throughout the entirety of this fight. Yeah. Like, I believe Bandera actually called him out, and I think it was one of those, be careful what you wish for, son, <laughs> yeah. because I'm pretty good. <laughs> and you're just not that good. And so, and then basically that's kind of where it was. I think Vandera wanted to challenge himself, but I think with this particular fight, he found out that I'm just not at that level yet. Yeah. More work needs to be had for me to get to said level. And doesn't mean that he can't get there, but I think he definitely needs more work with that. And I think personally for me, from what I saw in that fight, his fitness needs to come up quite a bit too as well. Yeah. Yeah, he had come in, uh, he threw the Dana White Contender Series, was on a two-fight win streak, had finished 10 of his 11 wins, was in his USA debut. But, um, yeah, uh, he's, he came in at 265. He didn't look in, in fantastic shape. And, um, yeah, he, he bit off more than he could chew there. Uh, I think Spivak was a bit mad that he got called out by this guy and uh, really dominated and, and took, took him down and was able to, yeah, beat him, breed him pretty badly. Uh, there was another uh, late. Uh, there was another fight that um, was canceled really late. Uh, it was kind of crazy that Chaz Skelly was in the cage when they called it off because Jamal Emmers uh, had some kind of back spasm issue and was not able to um, to fight. Uh, we've seen a lot of late uh, cancellations of fights, but never actually a guy going into the cage getting all ready, looking around for his opponent, and his opponent doesn't show up. It was kind of weird. I've never seen that before. I, I've never seen that before. Like, where the, literally the opponent couldn't make the walk because he couldn't walk. <laughs> I've never seen that before. I was like, yeah. what? what's going on here? And it's like, ah. And so I love the fact that Skelly goes, do I get my win bonus? I'm here. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, he, he's right, though. He's like, yeah. I'm ready to go. I don't, I don't know what happened to the other guy. So I hope he did get his win bonus. I he hope should, he got yeah. considered he a win. It was considered a victory. So yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It was very weird. Uh, at first, when I heard it was a medical issue, I thought, oh, another weight cut problem. We've had uh, you know a lot of ones lately where the guys um, you know have been health compromised from a weight cut, but uh, I don't remember hearing a back spasm forcing a uh, medical cancellation. No, no, I, I don't remember that either, but I, I believe the post-fight interview, I don't know if it was Bisping or one of the guys brought it up that Kenny Florian actually had that happen to him, oh, wow. and he couldn't make a fight because he couldn't even get onto the plane because he had back spasm issues. Wow. So, so it's not to say that it doesn't happen. It happens to these guys every once in a while, right? It's yeah. just unfortunate that it happened to Emmers before, at, like literally before his fight, literally minutes before his fight. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. I've had back spasms uh, before and I know it's tough, but um, yeah, I was, I was shocked that he was in the cage uh, <laughs> waiting for his opponent and his opponent never, never came out. Um, uh, let's talk about a few other um, things before we get to next week. 
there was a couple birthdays today, Colby Covington and Ryan Hall. Uh, there's been news about Colby Covington today where he refused a fight uh, with Leon Edwards. Uh, when Kamzat Chemaev uh, fell out of the fight between Leon Edwards, Colby Covington was given the opportunity to fill in late notice, but um, he refused. And Usman jumped on him and said, a huge mistake, horrible move, turning down a paycheck, screwing the UFC, and uh, <laughs> thinking that, and he heard that Kobe said, no, I'm only waiting for a title fight next. And he said, here's a long line of people before you that are getting a title shot. So uh, it was kind of funny press conference that I saw today from Usman and, and uh, talk about Covington, who's the birthday boy today. Well, I, I don't know, man. I, I guess he wants to have his cake and eat it too, so to speak. You know what I mean? But um, like li literally, okay, you're waiting for a title shot. But how did that first one go for you? <laughs> Not well, if I recall correctly. Yeah, kind of got dominated. So I don't understand how your performance warrants another shot immediately. Yeah. How, how does that work? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, How does that work? I don't Bizarre. know. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. You lost and pretty significantly. So, yeah, we'll see where Covington goes. I know he's been in a lot of uh, fights with the UFC brass, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, a lot, a lot more came out of that Usman press conference, and and one of the things that came out was that he doesn't want to go up and fight Adesanya. He said that if Adesanya uh, beats Blahovich and decides he's going to stay at light heavyweight. He might uh, relinquish the belt, and uh, Usman would love to become a champ champ and fight for that belt. He said he doesn't want it. He wants as many African champions as possible. He would rather have two African champions with one belt than one African champion with two belts. So uh, kind of cool for, for him to say that. And uh, interesting, you know, we'll see what happens with Adesanya Blahovich. And we'll see if he decides he wants to try to defend both belts. Yeah, that, that's actually, I like that. I, yeah. I think that's kind of cool. I think yeah. that's very cool that he said to, you know, he, that he said it out loud for the world to hear that, no, I, I, I rather enjoy the fact that there's two of us that are champions, you know, that are from the African continent. So I, 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 I applaud that, to be honest with you. I yeah. really enjoy that. And I like hearing that, but Here's the thing. I, I think even if Adesanya does win, if he does win again, he's not giving up any of those belts. He's like, right. nah, yeah. I'm going to fight both of you people in both of these divisions for as long as I can. Like, yeah. I think that's because I think Adesanya has that, that greediness to him. He's got a little Brady to him. I'm just going to say it. He does. <laughs> I want it all. That's what Adesanya is all about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, maybe. And uh, he also mentioned that uh, he thinks Francis Naganu is going to uh, win there. So there'll be three African champions and uh, that'll be a really a big, big, big history making move uh, for, for the UFC and, and the African fighters. So uh, the, he talked about wanting to be in that elite company as a two division world champion. And uh, you and I talked about this uh, maybe when, when we got together about a week ago, we talked about some of the champions. I know you mentioned some of them, but there's a couple that you didn't mention. And, uh, I wonder if you can remember from way back in the day, we talked about Connor, we talked about GSP, 
We talked about Cormier, Nunez, and Cejudo. Uh, name the other two guys that were champions of two weight divisions. BJ Penn, Randy Couture. <laughs> you got it. Boom. Just like that. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm that good. Yes, that was thank quick. You. <laughs> that was quick. Uh, a, yeah. few, a few of the guys have held them simultaneously. Conor McGregor, Daniel Cormier, and Amanda Nunes. Yeah. And Cejudo held them simultaneously. The other guys uh, won them, you know, in separate years and stuff. But um, yeah, so only seven guys in the history, seven, uh, six guys and one woman have have done that. So uh, we'll see, uh, yeah, what shakes down. But I think you're right. Um, I think Adesanya would love to keep both belts and and just keep going up and down. Uh, it's hard on the body though once you change yeah. weight class and you start getting used to your body starts getting used to it. It is hard to go back down. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And you couldn't, you, you run the risk of messing up your body if you do that too often. Yeah. So I don't know if it's actually realistic for him to literally hold on to two belts for, for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if anybody can really do that for a prolonged period of time, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, because of the, the fight obligations that you have the amount of fights that you should have carrying both belts. Like literally you'd have to have five fights a year. Yeah. Somehow. And I don't know if any champion can do that. <laughs> pretty tough. Pretty tough. That'd be pretty yeah. tough. Yeah. So we'll see um, how that comes out. Um, the other uh, press conference uh, that I, I saw this weekend was Aljamain Sterling ended up meeting with some of the media. Uh, he talked about this, fight with Peter Yan, and he said that he actually deserves his uh, compensation for when Peter Yan pulled out of their December 12th fight. He said that he heard that um, Peter was having some troubles with PEDs, and he was having some troubles because he was so chicken, and (laughs) so he uh, says he needs to get compensated for him pulling out of that fight. And he plans to beat him really bad when they fight in a couple of weeks. All right. Just getting that animosity up. Okay. All right, man. All right. Yeah, okay. They clearly don't like each other. That's yeah. good. That's a good start to any fight, you know. And uh, I like that. He, Al Jermaine is clearly trying to get under the man's skin a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be a good fight. I can't wait to see that one. That's going to be a barn burner, man. Yeah, I'm excited too. Yeah, that this card is shaping up to be one of the best cards ever. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see some animosity. I hadn't heard any so far between these two guys, and but it's it's come. And now we hear the rumor that whoever's going to emerge victor out of this fight, TJ Dillashaw, will be the next uh, combatant for them. <laughs> oh, the cheater, huh? Snake, TJ yeah. Dillon Snake. All right, all right, okay, that, that's pretty cool. That's because, like, we haven't heard about TJ Dillashaw for quite some time. Two year suspension, yeah. Two, Two year, year suspension. suspension. So, so now I'm kind of curious to see what new wrinkles that he's added to his game yeah. besides the cheating. But, like, what else is he going to bring to the table that we haven't seen him do ever? And because he's had a lot of time to tweak things. And to work on things, so I, I'm. This is this going to be very cool to see him back in there. Yeah, and get it. You know, throw down again. 
Yeah, no, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, angry at him for what he's done, uh, but uh, hopefully he can get out of the cheating scandal. Hopefully he's put a lot of time in the gym and he's, um, yeah, been able to become the best fighter he ever he ever was. And, um, but we'll, yeah, we'll have to see. Um, what about boxing? Uh, were you able to watch any boxing this past weekend? I, I missed that. I know that Bruner, Adrian Bruner fought. I know he won. Yeah. I just don't know if it was like a dominant performance or he just managed to squeak by. I have no, yeah. I was, I was absolutely stunned that the, he got the decision when uh, he was fully oh, outstruck. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the numbers I have in front of me are just uh, so brutal. I was shocked that, that they gave him the decision. He basically lost the first five rounds for sure. Uh, started coming on and in about the sixth round, but Still lost quite a few rounds going on. Um, he he landed 48, uh, 48 jabs, uh, 49 power shots. Uh, Santiago landed 83 jabs, 124 power shots for a total of 207 to 98. Uh, Santiago's body shots were 91. Broner had 11. Uh, it was it was just a shocking shocking decision victory by Broner I I, I was really angry after it it's it's just something that just makes me think oh no boxing here we go again so what you're saying is somebody paid the judges I, I'm not going there, but oh man, either they don't really know what they're, you know, what to watch for. Uh, yeah. But uh, man, I, I was really disappointed. Um, I, I just thought Broner just didn't really put much of an effort in until the middle part of the fight. Uh, there was a lot of rounds where he just seemed uh, just, yeah, just really not into it. And uh, Santiago was all over him, throwing shots the whole time, uh, really, really looking like he wanted to take this this belt and uh, he just um yeah he got robbed i think oh yeah well it sounds like it was a complete robbery and i believe uh correct me if i'm wrong but i think this is like the first win in broner for broner in like two or three years yeah no i think it's i think it's actually four years since he had a victory he had his last couple fights two years ago but he lost so i think yeah. it was four years since he had a win yeah, and, and that is telling in and of itself. Yeah. He's completely fallen off, yeah. right? Like, I, I, I remember I saw I saw the fight that was on, and I was just like, oh, that's just Adrian Broner. You know, like, past tense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Past tense fighter. So, uh, I'm not it, – it's, it's shocking because, obviously, I, th I thought boxing was trying to get better, you know, like, trying to, like, you know, improve their image, like, with the judging and yeah. stuff. But I guess, you know, it's still who it is. It's still boxing. Yeah. Every once in a while, they're like, ah, you know what? You know we're going to piss you off, but this guy's going to, we're going to give it to this guy. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it at all, but we're still going to give it to him. Yeah, no, I was, I was frustrated by it. And he got onto the, uh, the post-fight uh, uh, panel there. He sat on the, on a chair here, uh, interviewer there. I can't remember who was, who he was talking to, but uh, he said a lot of inappropriate things and he, he actually, I guess, as soon as he sat down, he saw the card, um, of the, the analyst that was, 
you know, talking about uh, who he thought won the fight and he was scoring it round by round and he had given the fight to Santiago and he saw him and said, F that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about and F you. And he, yeah, he got pretty uh, angry at everybody that um, uh, had doubted him. And uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a train wreck uh, post fight interview and uh yeah, just it just de- definitely made me think. Uh, boxing took a, a step back in it, this evening from from this performance and how it turned out. Well, you know what, uh, Adrian Broner hasn't been known for being a class act, so to speak. So with him lashing out the way that he did, it's juvenile, it it it's, it's ridiculous. But that's Adrian Bruner. That that's that's who he is. Yeah. That's what he does. And you know what? That dude's never going to change. So what's going to change is whoever his next opponent is. Oh, man, he's going to be in for it, especially if they give him a rank up from Santiago, who he clearly could beat. And if they give him a harder guy. Yeah. Well, good luck, Adrian. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was Steve Farhood who had, um, yeah, who had Santiago winning the, winning the fight and on his scorecard and, yeah, but anyway, there was another uh, fight that happened um, in Vegas same night. Uh, it was Oscar Valdez, Mexican, uh, had a really huge knockout of Miguel Burchelt um, with one second left in the 10th round. Uh, incredible knockout, stiffened him up and just dropped him to the canvas. Uh, fight was immediately over. Uh, Burchelt actually uh, was shown uh, on a gurney heading to the hospital. Um, Valdez was just phenomenal the whole fight, scored a couple knockdowns and was just really, really great in victory. Uh, have you seen the knockout? I have not seen the knockout, no. Okay. But how, how devastating was it? Wow. Just wow. <laughs> just wow. Yeah, <laughs> devastating. Like the guy was out uh, the second that the, the blow was sustained. And uh, yeah, they like I said, they had taken to the hospital because – it was one of the most devastating knockouts I've ever seen. Was it as devastating as Juan Manuel Marquez when he knocked out Manny Pacquiao? If you remember that one. Yeah, Pacquiao just immediately to the face to the canvas. He face planted and he didn't move for a long, a long time. time. No, I think it was probably worse. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, that's that's bad because they were touting that fight a lot. Like they 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 were really pushing that fight because it was like two Mexican fighters. They they were bred to fight. My goodness, it's gonna be a war. And I apparently it was a war. It, it was, was a war. war. Yeah, it was a hell of a fight. But yeah, okay. Valdez was uh, the better man that night, and it was uh, yeah, it was. It was incredible. I, I really enjoyed it. Great fight. Um, and also, uh, there was a heavyweight battle between Otto Valin, who beat Dominic Brazil, Brazil uh, decision in 12 rounds, and uh, Wallin looked good. Uh, his best fight, his most notable performance was against Tyson Fury a few years back, um, but uh, he looked really good. Uh, got the decision win over Brazil, and um, yeah, a lot of fun boxing that night i was glad that the usc ended a little early so i could watch a, a bunch of boxing uh, that night too oh yeah man it was uh it was a great night of fights for sure and it was cool that uh the ufc was on earlier so that you could you could have both you could yeah. have your cake and eat it too <laughs> yes. yeah that was great 
Okay, so we got, we're going to close down the combat sports for the evening. Uh, just touch on uh, next week's main card. Uh, we've got Jurizno <coughs> Rosenstrike against Cyril Gane. Um, what do you think uh, is going to turn? What's going to happen in this fight? It's going to be, I think it's going to be a very technical stand-up affair. I, uh, I don't think these guys are going to go to the ground at all, but I, I think it's going to be trying to set traps and bait each other into making mistakes and then take advantage of those mistakes with serious, devastating effect. Because I think as soon as one of these guys makes a major blunder, they're going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, four heavyweight battles on this this Saturday's card, another heavyweight battle for the main event. A uh, lot of great fights on this card. We've got uh, Pedro Munoz against Jimmy Rivera. We've got Angela Hill, Ashley Yoder, uh, Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres feeding Kevin Kroom. Uh, yeah, it's, um, we've got uh, Randy Brown fighting Alex Cowboy Oliveira. A lot of lot of great battles, so I'm sure um, next week we'll have a lot of fun to talk about. And uh, two weeks from now, we've got the big, big card, UFC 259, three title fights on the card, a lot of ranked fighters all the way down the card as well. Uh, this, I'm just hoping, I'm just praying, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that nothing happens to uh any of these these fights and um we can get to witness all these really good battles yes yes that would be great if covid didn't rear its ugly head for that particular fight card and that all fights go down as they're supposed to be as they're scheduled to be fingers crossed yeah for all of us for all of us fight fans yeah, we've just seen so many cancellations, so many tough um, yeah, fights that uh, have, have not come to fruition. We're only a little more than a week away. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I hope and pray that uh, this UFC 259 uh, comes together. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's great how much, uh, how many great battles they've, they've put on this card. So uh, can't wait, can't wait. Okay, well, let's um, let's switch gears to the NBA. Um, as you said off the top, you got to witness some some really great, uh, really great NBA action over the weekend. Uh, why don't we start with the early game that you said you watched, uh, the Charlotte Warriors game, and uh, it was a back and forth battle uh, until Draymond Green made a serious error in judgment and uh, was tossed out of the game with a two-point lead with about 10 seconds left. Uh, they hit both free throws and uh, ended up losing the game on a buzzer-beating three-pointer. Uh, Draymond, um, you know, we love his passion, but uh, he can be uh, a very disruptive force, and uh, getting kicked out of that game caused the, the Warriors to take the loss. Well, of course it did. Like, it, 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 it did. It, comp it compounded the fact by getting kicked out of the game, Getting the guy, the, the, op, the opposing team, two free throws. Guy hit both to tie the game. And you only have 10 seconds left in the game. And they take possession of the ball because of what you did. Because you couldn't control your emotions. And so what does Terry Rozier do? Who's been hot all game? Ah, I'll just take this winning three-point shot. I'll sink it. And we'll win. And it's game over. Like they, they could have, they should have won that game. Golden State should have won that game, even though Steph didn't play because 
he did not feel well, he was ill, he was sick, or whatever it may be, whatever the case was, he didn't play. And so, and then the, the game itself was fantastic. Both teams played very hard. That was the one thing that was on display to me. Both teams played very hard. They both wanted to win. And it was just unfortunate that Draymond decided, you know what, no, 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 I'm going to give it to them. Charlotte, Charlotte deserves this win. <laughs> uh, Steve Kerr had um, a lot of critical things to say about Draymond after the game and even into today. Uh, Draymond um, said he takes responsibility. It was a stupid move. And he said it was – he actually regrets it more than he does the ejection that he got in the NBA Finals. Um, that seemed a little ridiculous to say because it uh, was the NBA Finals – and a lot of people say that um, his meltdown back then caused the Warriors from a championship, another championship that they should have won. Yeah, okay, sure, sure, sure he regrets it more than the one in the finals. What are you talking about? What are you, crazy? What is that? It doesn't even make any sense. This is just a regular season game. That's the NBA finals. That's kind of what you work your whole career to do. And then again, you couldn't control your emotions even then. Like, so, you know, maybe this is a reoccurring theme. Yes, of course, it's a reoccurring theme. It's Draymond Green. The guy's passionate. We get that. We love your passion, but you got to control it for your team's sake so that they can win. You know, like, it's like, I think sometimes at some point, somebody on that team needs to be able to have the ability to take Draymond aside and say, come on, man. Come on, what are yeah. you doing? Please. Yeah. You know, we, we got games to win and we're good. Like Golden State is doing way better than what anybody else thought they would be able to do. Definitely. Most of that is due to Steph Curry and his amazing shooting. Yeah. Like it, yeah, a lot of that has to do with him. And I believe I told you even at the beginning of the season, I'm curious to see what Golden State can do with Steph Curry being the guy. Yeah. Well, now we've seen it. They they're pretty exciting to watch when Steph Curry is just the guy. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? No, but unfortunately, you have to have a hothead like Draymond who kind of every once in a while just loses it. At least, I guess you could say, he's not as bad as one dude that used to play in the league, Rasheed. Yeah. He's not as bad as Sheed. <laughs> he's getting there, but he's just still he's still not there yet. So, okay, you got that going for you, Draymond. You're not as bad as Rasheed. Way to go. I was going to talk about Draymond uh, before that uh, this week. Um, he made some comments uh, to the media um, after the Cleveland Cavaliers decided to sit Andre Drummond and uh, not play him until they make a trade for him. And he said, there's a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to media and when they talk about guys. A uh, guy like James Harden got crucified for saying he wants out of Houston and when a team decides they want to get rid of a guy, they're not talked about in any negative light at all. They're just like, oh, yeah, they got to make that move, you know. But when a guy wants to, to leave a team, he gets crucified in the media. James Harden's just a cancer. He's horrible. He said he dogged it near the end there, and that wasn't cool, and everybody saw that. But why is there such a double standard when it comes to one guy wanting to leave or a team wanting to get rid of a guy? I thought about that, right? I thought about that. And I guess the difference is the teams pay that player. The player doesn't pay the team. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And so I, I would say that in of itself is the difference. The team is your employer. Right. So the team kind of has the right to move you as they see fit. Sure. Because yes, you are a player, you're an individual, you're a human being, you're a person, but you're also an asset. Yeah. You're also an asset. And so that's why the team has the wherewithal to do with you as they see fit because they pay for they they pay your salary. Right. They pay they pay your salary. So they have that right. Yeah. That that's well, what that's the way I'm looking at. But when, when we bring it back to real life, if you decide that um, you don't really like your boss, you don't really like the situation you're in, you want to move to a different job, uh, you know, shouldn't you be allowed to? If you don't like your coach, if you don't like the surroundings, you're not happy in that particular situation, you're not getting the minutes, you're not getting, uh, you know, you're not getting the ball because, you know, somebody doesn't like to pass it or, you know, there's a, there's a personality conflict, whatever, you know. There could be numerous reasons why a guy wants to choose a different job or choose a different place to work. Uh, yeah. Why should a guy be crucified so badly for just wanting to make a move? Well, and then that's true. And then that's, that's, that's the opposite side of the coin. Like for, for us, if we didn't like where we were, well, I guess we're going to have to quit. But in the NBA, it doesn't kind of work like that. You can't just walk away from your team and say, you know what? Screw this. I'm out. <laughs> you can't, can't actually do that. No. You kinda, you're kind of locked in. And I see Draymond's point too as well, where it's like, well, why can't you just walk away? Say, like, well, because it's not set up that way. It's not set up that you can just quit. You can't, you can't quit. No. If you couldn't quit, I think you'd see a lot of shit happen. But it, it, does, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, let's hope that uh, Draymond can learn from this and uh, keep it under control. Uh, you know, to get those two technical fouls, get kicked out of the game. It was just horrible look on the on the Warriors who have had a really great year and but they're you know right on the precipice of missing the playoffs or making the playoffs. And um, you know he needs to be there. He needs to be a big part of that. That team, they're they're under you know understaffed. They they're missing some really key guys, and and for him to not be there and, and cause that, it was a yeah, it was a big blow. And uh, yeah, let's hope let's hope he learned his lesson. Uh, we talked about James Harden a little bit. He's on the uh, most exciting, maybe the most uh, uh, the team that's that's hottest right now, the Brooklyn Nets, and he has come in. We talked about him and Kyrie trying to figure out roles this past week. Uh, I've seen a, an amazing transformation of James Harden to the assist leader in the NBA to, uh, yeah, leading a team that's won six in a row and uh, really, really looking like they could be the class of the East. Yeah, yeah, like it, it's amazing because he's being the facilitator. He's, he's, he's dishing it out, and uh, Kyrie is the shooting guard, clearly, and he's – but Kyrie has been playing fantastic since he's been since he's been back, yeah. as I knew we would when he decided to play again. And like the team is like they're doing all of this without KD. They're they're doing all of this stuff. Like even like um uh, the game the other day where they were down against oh man who was that team that they were playing against? And it was basically it was James Harden and Jeff Green down the stretch. 
And they just kept hitting three after three after three to the point where the other team, it was against the Phoenix Suns. Thank you. I knew I'd get it. I knew I'd get it. And they just kept, and Chris Paul hit three threes down the stretch as well. But they just hit more and they just kept hitting them over and over again. Like, I'll, I'll say this that team is as offensively gifted as it gets. They can score on you in a hurry and they can hang 15 to 18 points in a minute like that. And it, it's just that quick. But again, for me personally, it's been great to see this, this run. But I, I, my question is still their defense. Yeah, I still have questions about their defense. I really do. I have a little bit of stats about their defense. Uh, I'm going to talk to that in a second. But they had a perfect road trip. You mentioned that Suns game. They beat the Clippers last night by four. Uh, they uh, beat the Lakers by 11. They beat the Suns by four. The Kings by 11. And the Warriors by 17 on a perfect five-game road trip. And missing Durant. Um, uh, pretty incredible. Uh they have been able to, to get better on their defense recently. In the first 13 games with Harden, they were giving up almost 124 points a game. In this six-game losing streak, a uh, six-game winning streak, sorry, they've got 111 points against uh, so far. So they've taken off 13 points a game against uh, uh, in those uh, six games. Uh, they were the worst in the NBA in those first 13 games and uh, needed definitely step up and play some better defense. And I'm, I'm seeing the, you know, a bit of a trend that um, they're going in the right direction. Well, you know what, then I'm going to attribute that not to the players. Now, not going to give them any, any, any credit whatsoever. I'm going to attribute all of that to Steve Nash yeah. and in his defensive scheming, because I believe the one thing that they've changed uh, during the 13 games to the, this winning streak is they switch a lot more. They switch off screens all the time now. And I think that's what's helped their defensive uh, – uh, to be more defensively stalwart against uh, some of these uh, these teams that they're playing up against. So I, I give all the credit to Steve Nash and uh, making those adjustments on the defense so that they're not just being scored on at will by any team. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Nash. I have a really neat graphic here that I want to explain. Uh, when he was with Phoenix, him and Dan Tony, they started changing basketball and really going at a, at a fast pace, shooting within first seven seconds, uh, really launching a lot more threes than had ever been launched before. So uh, they were in that year in pace, they were first points per game. They were first three point field goals attempted and made and percentages, they were first in those ranks. If those ranks and all those percentages were brought into today's game, they would be 26th in pace, 23rd in points per game, and 30th in three-point field goals attempted and made. Uh, so that's how much the game has progressed since those days of Nash and D'Antoni to, to these days now how much more points and pace and everything is happening. Yeah. And, but we're at this point because of what they instituted, because they were the pioneers for getting us to this point for yeah. the whole evolution of the league. And uh, yeah, I can't, I couldn't be happier because it's, 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 it's just so much more exciting to watch basketball. Now it's yeah. so much more engaging to watch basketball now. So 
thank you, uh, D'Antoni, and thank you, Steve Nash. Yeah, yeah, you you've made the game better. I love yeah. it. Yeah, that uh, that game against the Clippers was really fun for me to watch. I, I really wanted to see. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George against Kyrie and Harden. I want to see those four battle it out. Uh, but Paul George was on a minutes restriction, and he got sat down with about five minutes left and never played another second of the game. And he had he had already scored 34 points up to that moment. Up to that point, had been really really prolific in the game. And uh, they decided Ty Lue said no, sitting him down. He's not playing another minute. Uh, because he's on a minutes restriction and he was chomping at the bid and he kept looking and the clock kept coming down and he kept thinking, Oh, they'll bring him in now. Maybe the last minute. The la no, uh, it was either a big screw up by Lou that, uh, you know, wasn't watching his minutes. Uh, I don't know. It just, it just really, really uh, made me angry that it's minutes restriction wasn't managed better. And we got to saw those four guys battling it out right to the end. Well, or it's just like maybe that's just the way the league is now. It's like, well, you paid your 35 minutes. You were on fire. You were. Now you're done. <laughs> now you get to sit down. And we're seeing that more and more where coaches are just hardlined on that, where it's just like, no, man, that's it. And I don't know if that's actually coming from the coaches no. or is that coming from upper management yeah. saying that, if they're on a minutes restriction, as soon as they hit that minute, they don't play again. Yeah. And that may be coming from the team, like the team upper brass. Oh, I think it has to be coming from upper management. I think it has to be coming from upper management. Right. But, you know, somebody should have, you know, one of the assistant coaches should have been, okay, he's at, he's at 28, he's at 30. Okay, let's sit him down. Let's get him some rest. We want to have him fresh for the last, you know, five minutes. Right. Uh, something, somebody screwed up, and I just really hated – that uh, we didn't get a chance to see them at their best. Um, uh, the other thing that came out during that game was DeAndre Jordan uh, was really, really dominant in the middle. Uh, that was the best game in a Nets uniform by far. And it, and it kind of looked like uh, his return to LA, he really wanted to stick it to those Clippers. And, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, really good to see because they haven't had a really good uh, middle presence this year. And uh, that will even help them. Uh, continue this winning streak if he's on yes it will yes it will because like they've they've been missing his his dominance his presence as a rim runner and once he does that he does that to great effect that just adds a whole new element to the Nets game yeah. it adds a whole new element right so if he can be that dominant force that they need in the middle just getting the rebounds or just going up for the alley-oop dunks because he's got Harden who's a master at manipulating the defense to get him that alley-oop. He's a master at that. Like, he's he's got that down pat. So, on all he's got to do is roll to the rim hard and catch the ball and dunk it. This was a battle between the second team in the East and the second team in the West. And I actually think that these are the two teams that might uh, face each other in the finals. Uh, with 76ers iffy right now, uh, Nets on a, on a six-game winning streak really chasing them down. They're, they're basically just percentage points behind them. Uh, they're at 20 and 12 and the 76 is at 20 and 11. Uh, and then uh, we, we see the Clippers, you know, they're in third place in the conference, but 
they are pretty dominant. Jazz, uh, I don't think they can continue this pace, nine and one in their last ten. I uh, don't know if they're going to stay up there. And the Lakers, with Anthony Davis gone for a month, they're overplaying LeBron James. I really feel like he has a really high risk of injury right now. And, and if uh, he gets injured, uh, they're sunk. They're, they're done. Um, I just hope that they manage his minutes a little bit better. He has been playing crazy amount of minutes lately. It's just, it's been way over the top and I don't know why they're doing this. Uh, they don't need to stay at the top of this conference to do a lot of good things in the playoffs, but uh, he's never played more. It's crazy. I think, you know what, that that's not the team doing that. That's LeBron doing that. You know, LeBron's at a point where he's like, I got to call my own shot. I kind of, I can kind of do that now. And to me this year, it seems like he wants to come out and make a statement, which is, yeah. ah, I don't know why did win MVP last year. Kind of ticked me off a little bit. <laughs> kind of ticked me off a little bit. No. So this year I'm going to put a stamp on it and say, no, no, I'm actually that good. <laughs> I'm actually that good. And Here's the thing. You, you, you said the Clippers and the Nets, and you've totally discounted the Lakers. I'm a little bit surprised at you. I'm a little bit surprised. You want to know why? Because I did the same thing in the NFL. I did that to Brady. <laughs> Look what he did to me. Yeah. So, uh, let's see what happens when we get to the playoffs, because if there's one man that you cannot count out, and also, too, the man's made of iron. He doesn't ever get hurt. <laughs> Yeah, he's, like, he's just made of iron. I don't know what he's made of. He's not <laughs> built like the rest of us. He's not a regular human being. So, give him all the minutes. Yeah, they'll, they'll be fine. Yeah, no, I, I worry. He's, you know, yeah, he's. He, I think you know, you got to say maybe he's made out of iron. But uh, <laughs> you know, he had injury troubles a bit last year. Year before, yeah. definitely he had some injury troubles. Uh, you know, that thirty-six-year-old body with that many minutes on it. Uh, I, I want to tell you this stat here. Through mm-hmm. January 22nd, uh, he was 50th in the league in minutes per game, and he was 10th in the league in touches per game. Uh, since he's first in minutes and third in touches, uh, Anthony Davis has been out six of the past 10 games, and he's gone a month. And uh, I don't know. I'm really scared and really worried that he's going to get injured. And, uh, yeah, that's the only reason I would discount the Lakers. If LeBron's healthy, AD's healthy, they go into the playoffs and stay healthy, yeah, they should win the title again. But um, I, I think they're, uh, yeah, I think they're really running a big risk of, of uh, LeBron getting hurt as well. And uh, this, this championship run is derailed because of it. No, no, I, I, I see it a little bit differently than you, which is LeBron is not a real human being. <laughs> He's made of something else. I don't know what that is. Okay. He's going to be fine. We're going to roll right into the playoffs. AD will all of a sudden be, I feel refreshed. I feel great. LeBron's like, oh, it's about time, man. Could use some help. <laughs> and then everything will just work out. Like it will probably just work out like that because he's LeBron. And I don't know. Somehow, somehow, some way, I just feel like this is what's going to happen. It's just going to work out. All right. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Great, uh, yeah, well, great debate, and we'll uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I sure hope 
the injury doesn't happen, but it, it really could to a 36 year old man that's played that much basketball. Uh, okay. You mentioned uh, you watched a couple of the games. You watched a great game between the Pelicans and the Celtics as well. Uh, a massive comeback, the biggest comeback in Pelicans history down 24 to the Celtics pulling out an overtime win a uh, fun game to watch. I'm glad you recorded it and watched it. I watched it before you did, and uh, I'm glad I didn't spoil it for you. Uh, tell me your um, your viewpoint of that performance. It was pretty incredible. It was awesome. It was awesome to see the young team get after it on the defensive end because that's actually what literally brought them back into the game. They, they had that defensive energy. And also, too, their, their best two guys, Brandon Ingram and Zion Wilson, they had great games, man. Zion only, I believe, in the first half had four points. So he wasn't actually – didn't really seem like he had it. And then he turned it on. Yeah. Then he turned it on. Then he, 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 he decided, I'm going to go in the paint. I'm going to dominate that. And I'm just going to – I'm going to bully these guys because I'm bigger than them, yeah. stronger than them, better. And then that's what he did. That's what he did. But to the, on the same side, the Celtics were like, well, we got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. We're pretty good, too. Yep. And it was it was just a heavyweight affair. It was so cool to see these young guys just get after each other and go blow for blow, back and forth, back and forth. It was awesome, man. It was awesome. But it but for me, the thing that I love the most to see the young team of the Pelicans not settle for this loss. They wouldn't settle for it. They wouldn't accept it. They could have just laid down and said, ah, ah, we don't got it. We're already up by 24, you know. Mail it in. But no, man, they did not do that. And I was very impressed by that. I think Stan Van Gundy is definitely the coach for this team at the right moment at this time. Yeah. No, I was super impressed too. I, I watched it and really amazing to pull out that overtime win. And uh, yeah, Van Gundy, uh, you know, was on them because the day before they suffered the worst defeat by one team in the shot clock era when leading by plus 10 points going into the fourth quarter, they were outscored 41 to 12, lost to Phoenix, 132-114. Uh, Phoenix just absolutely jumped on them and dominated. To actually go the next night and be down 24, uh, you know, most young teams would be like, oh, here we go again, yeah, another loss. But they didn't give up and they kept at it and and pulled out a really fun victory. And uh, I I also think that there's something wrong with Boston. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's hard to put my finger on it. Uh, they don't seem to have the chemistry that they had last year. And this is the first time they've been 500 or worse in uh, after 30 games, first time in seven years. Um, yeah, we'll see what's the, what the kind of problem is. I think you might have some ideas on what the, what the issue is. I, I think one, one of the major issues, major, major issues is the fact that Marcus Smart is out of the lineup. I, I think, like, he's definitely their defensive stalwart. He's the guy that uh, is calling out defensive matchups. And then you get this guy, I got this guy. Like, he's, he's the vocal point for their defense. And on top of that, he's also a facilitator on their offense. He, he's, he's a heart and soul kind of guy. He's the heart of that team. And with him not being there, Ah, it's a different team, man. It's yeah. a different team, and you can see it. They just don't have that little bit extra. That's because that guy's out of the lineup right now. I think once he gets back into the lineup, I think the team turns around pretty quick, 
but they still got to wait until he's healthy enough to get into the lineup. True. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, they're uh, yeah they're having their struggles uh, to be this far down. Uh, you, you, you're uh, definitely not used to it. Uh, you know, you see Boston usually they're contending top of the conference, and uh, yeah, they've had you know so much good talent over the last uh, half dozen years. Uh, Raptors are are starting to you know look pretty good. I uh, was impressed by their victory yesterday over the 76ers. Uh, Joel Embiid was a serious force before this game. Uh, some uh, incredible games recently, but um, their defense is super solid and they were able to, you know, contain him and get a big victory. And um, yeah, I think they've turned things around even in Kyle Lowry's um, absence with a thumb injury. Um, they seem to be able to, you know, be able to win against some really tough teams. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because they, they're, they're, they've always been a good team. Yeah. They just what like their chemistry was just slightly off. And I think now that they, they finally beginning to figure that part out. Right. And also too, Fred Van Fleet's been playing fantastic basketball. Yeah. He's been, he's been playing great. And like, I, the dude scored a couple weeks back, 54 points. All right. What are you talking about? What? Yeah, oh, man. I, you know what? I guess the $23 million that he was paid money well spent mm-hmm. clearly. Money well spent. So it, it's good to see that the Raptors are back to the winning ways uh, for the moment. Hopefully they can continue doing that. But uh, for them to continue having this success, it's got to start on the defensive end. They got to still keep playing hard on the defensive end. Yeah. Yeah. Four wins in a row. They're up to uh, fifth in the conference uh, after a really, really tough start. Uh, first time over 500 since the early part of the year. And, uh, yeah, no, it's great. Uh, you know, I'm nice to see um, them pulling it together. Uh, there's still talk about an Andre Drummond possible deal, but Kyle, Kyle Lowry has been out with an injury, and I'm not sure if that's stalling things or or not. But um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, they lost a, an assistant coach in Chris Finch today when Minnesota decided to fire Ryan Saunders. After a seven and twenty-four start for Minnesota, forty-three and ninety-four over the last couple of seasons, uh, the son of Flip uh, was the youngest coach in the league, and he just doesn't have didn't have enough horses to be able to pull this team together. Um, also, uh, with D'Angelo Russell and um, Cairo Anthony Towns, uh, over the past forty-five games that they were on the same roster. They were only able to play uh, the same game five times. So, um, yeah, it's uh, tough for him to take the fall, but um, they ended up uh, hiring another one of Nick Nurse's assistants, and uh, Chris Finch has got the opportunity there to try to turn this around. Well, good luck. You're going to need it. Uh, (laughs) I, I, I don't know necessarily if a new coach is going to instill a winning attitude into that organization because I feel that they just don't have the players as of right now, so to speak. But as you, as you mentioned before, Carl Anthony Towns and, uh, and D'Angelo Russell haven't even played together yet, really. So once that dynamic is built upon and they actually have a rapport, maybe things will begin to uh, turn around, but they still have to put in game for that to even manifest into something and so that's still going to take some time 
Um, there was a Anthony Edwards was the first overall pick by Minnesota this past year. He's had a really fantastic rookie year so far, and he threw down a dunk uh, yesterday over uh, day before yesterday over Utah Watanabe. That was uh, absolutely spectacular, and it brought back dunks from rookies over the years. Saw so many highlights of dunks. Uh, it was spectacular. Um, did you see that rim rocker? I think, is that the one that he, he dunked from the side? He came in from the baseline pretty much and yeah. like jumped like out of the gym. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that impressive stuff. The dude can leap. He's a leaper, man. And wow. Watanabe had no chance. <laughs> None whatsoever. He had no business being there. <laughs> it was an incredible. Uh, if you haven't seen it for any of our viewers or listeners, uh, find it on online. Amazing, amazing dunk. And, uh, yeah, he has he has hops, and uh, yeah, I think if they can keep bringing him along, uh, that team has potential. Uh, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, Ryan Saunders took the took the blow and uh, is out of a job. Uh, that makes um, that makes the coach of OKC now the youngest NBA coach in the NBA. He's only thirty five. Uh, Taylor Jennings from Memphis, thirty six years old. Luke Walton, 40, and J.B. Bickerstaff from Cleveland, 41. So uh, there are still some young coaches, but Ryan Saunders was the youngest up until today, and um, he took the fall. Um, I guess the only other thing to talk about is DeMarcus Cousins uh, has will be leaving Houston in the coming days. Uh, supposedly he is on the trade block, and the Lakers are in the running to bring him back. Uh, he signed with the Lakers a couple seasons ago, had an injury in the offseason playing some pickup basketball, uh, never got a chance to suit up, now might have a chance. Uh, would he be a good addition to have in the meantime while AD's out? Yeah, I think so. And he's cheap. You know, like he's, he's not even expensive anymore. Like yeah. so, and like his, his upside is only up. Like literally, like whatever – that DeMarcus can give you, like even if it's like like fifty percent of what he used to be, that's good enough. That'll that'll get uh, that'll get LA pretty far, you know. Yeah. And if he can be even better than that, oh man, that's a that's a great pickup for LA, like a great pickup for LA. So let's see what it, let's see what the man can do. Let's see what he has left in the tank. I'm yeah. kind of curious to see. Yeah, be uh, yeah, great to watch. Um... Yeah, I guess that's kind of the basketball story of the week. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got to see a lot of games. I've been watching games every night, and I got to see some great ones this weekend. Uh, yeah, the NBA is really in fine form right now and uh, very fun to watch. And and uh, as the, the season wears on, as we uh, get closer and closer to All-Star uh, weekend and we get closer to half halfway kind of thing, uh, yeah, the NBA has um, been really super fun. Yeah, it has. And I, I'm more impressed that they actually stuck to this ridiculous breakneck skate schedule that they've that they've had. Like, it's just utterly ridiculous, but they've managed to keep it somehow. So good on them. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see what the All-Star Weekend is going to look like. COVID, like, <laughs> what is that going to be like? Going to have a ton of fans in the stands? No, no, actually, you're not. It's going to do some dunks with just like some people around 
like just former NBA players. <laughs> Is that what you're doing? Anyways, yeah. whatever, man. Hey, let's let's see what you can pull off. Good luck, NBA. I'll, I'll I'll tune in. I'll watch. I'll see how it looks. It it's it's uncharted territory for everybody. Let's see what they can do. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of NBA players have been um, calling for it to be canceled. And, um, yeah, we'll see if that that's becomes more and more of a thing. But, uh, yeah, so far they're going to go ahead. Uh, it's going to be really weird. Um, yeah, strange for that Saturday night when they try to showcase all the skills. And, and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely don't think it's the smartest move, but uh, they want to go ahead with it. And uh, I guess we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, because like I'm, I'm gonna be honest, man. I kind of agree with LeBron on this, where it's like we're dealing with the pandemic. The the NBA All Star Game is actually for the fans that can't be there. So why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 it needs to be asked. It's like if you guys are trying to if you're trying to, I guess, be role models for like the people, then you don't put this on. Yeah. Because everybody's actually supposed to be safe indoors, yeah. away from others. You know, like you, you, if you want to do the right thing, not having it would be the right thing to do. Be the right thing, yeah. yeah. Like, like I think that would be the right thing to do. But since you are having it, I guess money's more important than doing the right thing. Is that what you're trying to tell us? Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, NBA usually makes so many smart, uh, good moves. Uh, I've been impressed with them so much over the last, uh, you know, few years. And uh, yeah, this just seems like a, a bad mistake and a fail on their part. But I guess um, we'll see what shakes down in the coming weeks and uh, see how it how it plays out. But uh, sure, it was fun as always on a Monday. Uh, great to break down the UFC. Great to break down uh, the NBA. And um, I guess the only last thing I want to mention is Deion Sanders won his debut as a coach of Jackson State as, a, as the coach there, 56 nothing victory. And uh, great to see him patrolling the sideline again. Great to see him on a football field. Uh, kind of cool to see primetime back, back in the spotlight, uh, you know, being involved in games, not just talking about his history. Yeah, yeah, because that's more like a primetime score, isn't it? If it's six nothing. Yeah, that, that's the way that Dion wants to make a splash and that it, it suits him to a T. Yeah. So well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, have a great week. Uh, hopefully you get off early the whole entire week. Hopefully that set a precedent and uh, we'll be able to see a very refreshed Jason Cameron uh, next Monday. Uh, thanks again for doing this, buddy. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with you through the week. Oh yeah. You betcha, bud. We'll see you next week for sure. Okay. Perfect. Bye for now. Bye. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, time has flown. We uh, had a uh, long episode uh, this time. We've, we've had a lot of long episodes, but this one uh, seems to have pushed a little later than I expected, but um, yeah. Thanks Jason. Uh, fun as always had a lot of laughs and, Great to hear your um, breakdown of both the UFC and the NBA. And, and um, yeah, I do want to uh, make a mention tonight. Um, this uh, podcast is dedicated to Ross Jewell. He's uh, in the ICU tonight. Um, had, uh, yeah, some health issues uh, over the weekend. Uh, 
He's alone, uh, unfortunately, because of COVID protocols. Um, cannot have his family visit him there. Uh, please um, give your thoughts and prayers out to him, uh, suffering some serious health health troubles. And um, just saw him on Friday. Uh, he was able to um, uh, make me laugh, make us laugh, uh, bring a lot of uh, light and joy to him. Uh, I, uh, you know, my thoughts and prayers are to the Joel family and to Ross himself. Um, I hope um, he's able to recover and um, get back on his feet and get out of the hospital soon. Um, yeah, please, uh, our viewers and listeners, thoughts and prayers for Ross, Joel, and and uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, really appreciate your time as always. Uh, love you guys and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Bye for now.